How are you today? I tell you, it's good to see you. God is here. God loves you. Christ is here to help you, heal you, whatever your situation may be. Somebody give the Lord some praise. I tell you what, man, I, my wife will probably, you can probably rip, dial me back just a little bit, Jared. My, my, my wife will probably get on to me later for, you. She, she, uh, she rebukes me on the regular for TMI, you know, and uh, but I woke up this morning. You guys, look, I have this little online ministry outreach thing that I do through posting these reels on Instagram and Facebook and stuff. If you can follow me at Jeff Kingry on Instagram, you know, whatever. Uh, and I tell you what, man, I, I, I woke up this morning to uh, someone, someone posted a comment. They were like, your content is trash and I hope you get cancer in your private parts. <laughs> Except they didn't say private parts. Hope you get private part cancer. I'm like, wow, convicted much? It's one of those things, and I just thought to myself, wow, I mean, you know, Jesus said, blessed are you when you're persecuted, or men speak all manner of evil against you, for so they persecuted the prophets. So I finally got put in some good company uh, of the prophets and all. People speak in manners of evil against me. Gee whiz. But, you know, usually you throw a rock in a pack of dogs, the one that yelps the loudest, the one that got hit. You know what I'm saying? And so, may the Lord save them. People are like, get a life. I'm like, I got one in Christ. It's eternal. You should join me. You know? Who needs a Bible? We want to get one going for you. Get it in your hands so you can follow along. Today, we're just going to go ahead and jump instantly into the prophet Isaiah, chapter 29. We're going to look at it in its entirety in a, in a message that I've entitled, God Wants Your Heart. So let's, with that, let's, uh, let's take our hearts to the Lord. Father, we just thank you for your goodness, your grace, your mercy, Lord. It is our honor to worship you and to give the attention of our hearts and our minds to you. And so, God, we just pray that you would speak, that you would help us to remain attentive to you throughout this time of study. We love you so much, God, and we give this time to you in Jesus' name. Amen. So we're in this section of Scripture that has to do with God's judgment being poured out on uh, the southern kingdom of Judah. And so we're just going to jump right in today, ladies and gentlemen. Let's take our attention to verse 1. Woe to Ariel, to Ariel, the city where David dwelt. Add year to year, let feasts come around. Yet I will distress Ariel, and there shall be a heaviness and, a, and sorrow, and it shall be to me as Ariel. And I will encamp against you and all around, and I will lay siege against you with a mound, and I will raise siege works against you. And you shall be brought down, and you shall speak out of the ground. Your speech shall be low out of the dust. Your voice shall be like a medium's out of the ground, and your speech shall whisper out of the dust. Well, the curtain pulls back in chapter 29 in a little bit of a, of a mysterious kind of a fashion, God pronouncing woe to Ariel, which kind of makes us wonder exactly what is God talking about? I mean, we hear the word Ariel or Ariel or whatever, we start thinking Little Mermaid or something. And, and so, but it becomes quickly apparent for whatever reason God calls it Ariel, he's referring to the city of Jerusalem and by extension, the nation of Judah. Now we know this for a few reasons. Number one, he says quite clearly that he's speaking of the city where David dwelt. And whenever the Bible speaks of the city where David dwelt, he's talking about Jerusalem. Now you may be thinking to yourself, well, didn't David dwell in Bethlehem as well? Yes, he did. 
but what we have here in verse 1, he adds a detail. He says, add year to year, let the feast come around. And the feasts were held annually, not in Bethlehem, but in Jerusalem. And then if you want to kind of underscore, we'll see it later when we get to verse 8. He, he just calls it clearly Mount Zion. And Mount Zion is the city of Jerusalem. And that sort of settles it. Now, there's a little debate as to what the word Ariel means. Uh, now, literally in Hebrew, it means Lion of God. But it's very close to another word in Hebrew which means altar for sacrifice. And so commentators vary in their interpretation of the passage. I mean, is it a reference to the fact that Jerusalem had this lofty opinion, the lion of, of, of God, and, and it was elevated in pride and had come to rest on its spiritual heritage, having now grown comfortable in routine? You know, add year to year, let the feast come around, rather than seeking God from the heart. Or is God saying, you know what? Jerusalem has become to me like an altar for sacrifice. Referring to the fact that God would bring judgment upon the city with such ferocity, with such completeness that it would be burned to the ground like a sacrifice left upon an altar. Uh, saying in effect to Jerusalem, go ahead, keep your routines, go through your motions of ministry, add year to year, let the feast come around. It's not going to help you. In any way. Now, truth be told, I don't really have a bone to pick with either interpretation because there's application in both directions. Yes, God would bring the pride of Jerusalem low. Guys, the Bible is clear. These six things the Lord hates, yes, seven are an abomination to Him. Now, what's the first one on the list? A proud look. Pride. God hates pride. You say, well, now, wait a minute, preacher. What are the other six things that God hates? Well, listen, you're going to have to write it a reference down, look it up later. I'm not going to do all the work for you, okay? But God resists or wars against the proud. We made mention of it last week, so I won't linger on it here, but you don't want to be found fighting against God. It's a war you cannot win. Anyone ever try? Anyone ever fight against God? How'd that work out for you? I mean, you know, God has never lost a battle, and it certainly will not start with you, and most definitely will not start with me. God has a perfect record. He wins every battle, and he will bring Jerusalem low. I will distress, Ariel, and there shall be heaviness and sorrow. And it says, it shall be to me as Ariel. Now again, either, look, I'm going to come against you aggressively, again with that ferocity as though fighting against a lion, or Jerusalem would be to God as an altar for sacrifice. It would be brought down. Verse 4, he says, your speech will whisper out of the dust. This is the, 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 the reality of the humility the lowness to, with, to which he would bring them. And keeping the feast, he says, would not save them. Offering sacrifices would not help them. Guys, religious routines don't amount to anything before God. I tell you, too often we fall prey to the mindset of, well, I go to church, we have this routine, right? I go to church, I sacrifice financially at offering time, I sacrifice 
practically in serving. I've been a good little boy. I've been a good little girl. I'm sure all is good between me and God. And we anchor ourselves to these religious routines. Listen to me. God is not interested in a religious routine. He wants a love relationship with you. It's obedience that he is after from the heart, not sacrifice. King Saul, you may recall, fell into that trap. He thought that he could balance out his otherwise chaotic and sinful lifestyle by just making a lot of sacrifices. You know, trying to balance out the bad by doing all the more good. And Samuel said to him, has the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice and to heed than the fat of rams. For rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft. Think about that when you rebel against the word of God. And stubbornness, wanting my way, elevating my way, he says, is as iniquity and idolatry. Don't think that you can lead whatever kind of sinful lifestyle you want and then just kind of make up for it by giving more or praying more, serving more, you know, somehow sacrificing more. Now, King David, on the other hand, said this. He said, you do not desire sacrifice or else I would give it. You do not delight in burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. These, O oh God, you will not despise. You see, it's not religious routine that God is after. It's relationship. It's genuine repentance. It's obedience to his word right here from the heart. And so either way you want to see it, the message is the same. God was going to punish Jerusalem, bring low their proud religious hearts that he might renew them in their relationship with him. Look at verse 5. Moreover, the multitude of your foes shall be like fine dust, and the multitude of the terrible ones like chaff that passes away. Yes, it shall be done in an instant. Suddenly, you will be punished by the Lord of hosts with thunder and earthquake and great noise with storm and tempest and the flame of devouring fire. The multitude, underline that, of all the nations who fight against Ariel, even all who fight against her and her fortress and distress her, shall be noticed as a dream of a night vision. It shall even be as when a hungry man dreams, and look, he eats." But he awakes and his soul is still empty. Or was, when a, as when a thirsty man dreams and look, he drinks, but he awakes and indeed he is faint and his soul still craves. And so the multitude of all the nations shall be who fight against, here it is, Mount Zion. And so the principles of 
free will and God's sovereignty kind of coming into focus for us, and they're interesting to ponder. And, and by the way, I, I, I kind of considered how I wanted to handle this passage, not for the sake of uh, like a difficulty in interpretation or application, but because we only have so much time. And, and so I just want to say that there's both foreshadowing and future fulfillment found in this passage. There's a foreshadowing of how God would handle the nation of Assyria. I think it's in Isaiah 37, we get to it, we'll see it when he kills 185,000 Assyrian soldiers in a single you know, evening. Uh, and, but then there's also a future fulfillment when all the nations, the multitude of the nations surround Jerusalem and seek to come against it and God fights for them and, and destroys them and disperses them like fine dust and like the chaff that blows away. So there's foreshadowing and there's, fulfill, there's future fulfillment still to come. But here, here we have this, he will humble Jerusalem in the dust and then destroy and disperse her enemies. That's what, that's what he's saying here. Now that brings back to the point of this God's sovereignty and man's free will. And God was going to allow the pagan nation of Assyria to march on Judah. And he would even use the tremendous merciless damage that they would do to serve his own purposes in punishing Jerusalem. But guys, that doesn't mean that he wouldn't hold them accountable for coming against his people. He would use their efforts for his purpose. He takes what the enemy means for evil and he turns it for good, but he would hold the enemy accountable for what they did of their own volition. Are you with me? He says that for those who would come against Jerusalem, it would be a frustrating, it would be an exasperating experience because God would protect them and fight for them. He says, it'll be like a man that goes to bed hungry and he dreams, man, that he just had this feast and it was so satisfying. But when you wake up, you're still hungry or thirsty. You know, you can see it, man, you can even taste it, but you'll never apprehend it. Guys, I just want to remind you that even when it comes to the chastening of the Lord, the discipline of God in our lives that he is carefully managing every detail, okay? If the enemy had their way with Jerusalem, they would have destroyed them completely and utterly. And I'm just telling you, if the enemy of your soul had his way, he would destroy you utterly and completely. But God would not allow it. He only allowed as much as would serve his purpose in purifying their lives and no more. Guys, think this through. Whom the Lord loves, he chastens. Okay? If you've ever had the heavy hand of God's chastening upon you, listen to me, you should thank God for that. You know, you look out in the world, and, they, and, and in Psalm 73, write it down, look it up later, there's Asaph, and he's like, man, you know, truly God is good, but as for me, I almost stumbled, I almost lost it, because I thought about the wicked and how they did what they wanted, and they never seemed to suffer, they're always getting away with it, they just seem their life gets better and better, and here I am, I'm trying to serve God, and all these things are falling apart on me. And then, of course, in the, in the end of the psalm, or about the middle of the psalm, he begins to be reminded of the eternal perspective, and everything comes into focus for him. And surely, God, you know, you are, you are good. My, my flesh and my heart may fail, but you are my portion forever kind of a thing. And there's this whole idea of, you know, other kids may get away with it, right? They're not my kids. How many of you parents have said that? Well, so-and-so gets to do it. So-and-so isn't my child, you're my child, and you're not doing it. 
You're not getting away with it, you know. And so he loves you. He's purifying you. He's preparing you as a vessel for his glory and grace. Now look at verse 9. Pause and wonder. Blind yourselves and be blind. They are drunk, but not with wine. Now last week he rebuked them for their physical Drunkenness. Now he's, he's taken it deeper into a spiritual drunkenness. Look at this. They stagger, but not with intoxicating drink. For the Lord has poured out on you the spirit of deep sleep and has closed your eyes, namely the prophets, and has covered your heads, namely the seers. Isaiah, I love this. He says, pause and wonder. You know, today we might say, stop and think about what's happening. He says something truly astounding has happened here. You've become spiritually blind and numb to the things of God. And the wonder of it all is that you have done this to yourself. Think about that. And we have some overtones here that remind us of how God dealt with the Pharaoh. And this principle that we see threaded throughout the scriptures, and it's this one, that God will honor, you might write it down, take note of it, put it on the margin of your Bible, whatever, God will honor the condition and the position of your heart. Now, some people struggle with the verses in the book of Exodus that speak of the fact that God hardened the Pharaoh's heart when Moses was seeking to deliver his people from bondage. Really, when you come across that word, and so God hardened his heart, or it speaks of the hardening of the Pharaoh's heart, really all that word means is that he stiffened or he strengthened his already resolved position. Okay? In other words, Moses comes and he says, you know, God has a message for you, Pharaoh. Let my people go. And Pharaoh stops, he thinks about it for a minute, and he says, you know, let me think about that. No. And so God says, fine. If that's your resolve, I will affirm you in that position. I will honor your decision. But ladies and gentlemen, what I want to encourage you with on the backside of that is that it works on the other hand as well. You see, in other words, if you will purpose in your heart to honor God, to humble yourself before God, to serve God, to love God with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your strength, and with all your soul. Come on, somebody. God will honor that as well. And he will strengthen and affirm you in that resolve. Here, they had blinded themselves. They had numbed themselves to the things of God. They were spiritually inebriated. They were spiritually intoxicated. And so God responds to their position. We see it in verse 10. Let's look at it again together. Turn your attention to the 10th verse. For the Lord has poured out on you the spirit of deep sleep and has closed your eyes, namely the prophets. He has covered your heads, namely the seers. He gave them over to the lethargy, the vulnerability, the insensitivity of spiritual slumber and sleep. Think about it. When you're asleep, you're vulnerable. When you're asleep, you don't feel what's going on. You're insensitive. You're lethargic. You're just laying there. 
And he says, namely the prophets and the seers. In other words, he's blinding the eyes, he's covering the eyes of those who would give God's word to the people. Guys, we're coming upon an important principle here. I I just implore you to not, not tune out. Ladies and gentlemen, I need you to see this. God gave them what they wanted. They chose spiritual blindness. And so God poured out upon them a state of spiritual deep sleep. He closed their eyes. They chose spiritual blindness, so God closed their eyes. And this is a real problem, I believe, in the church today. Many Christians are spiritually asleep, insensitive to the things of God, ineffective in their walk with God. But listen, we live in a day and in an age, listen to me, where every child of God needs to be spiritually sober, awake, watching, alert, praying. Paul wrote to the Romans, and do this knowing the time that now it is high time to awake out of sleep. For now your salvation is nearer than when we first believed. Paul issued, I love this because I like to do this. Paul issued an every hand in the building kind of a statement. Let's do it right now. By show of hands, how many of you believe that the return of Jesus Christ is nearer now than when you first believed? then now, more than ever, we need to be awake and alert, spiritually speaking. Uh, And and you can kind of sense the urgency in every single day that passes, you see. Uh, Another example of people being accountable for their own choices, resulting in God giving them over to their own desires as a form of judgment. Again, guys, I'm just giving you a lot of scripture because we've got lots of territory to cover, and I just don't have time to go over it all. But write it down, look it up later, Romans chapter 1, and and it's verses 18 through 32. And if you're not readily familiar with that section of scripture, you'll probably be a bit shocked at how correlative it is to our culture today. And so again, the people blinded themselves, they desensitized themselves, and so God gave them over to blindness, spiritually speaking. And the way that he did this was to cease, listen, to cease giving vision to those who were responsible for bringing the revelation of God's word to the people. The prophets, the seers, we might call them the pastors and the preachers of Judah. We're no longer hearing from God. If the people didn't want the truth of God's word, then God would honor that. Now the prophet uh, Amos spoke to this same principle. Listen to what he wrote. He said, Behold, the days are coming, says the Lord God, that I will send a famine on the land. Not a famine of bread, nor a thirst for water but of hearing the words of the Lord. They shall wander from sea to sea and from north to east. They shall run to and fro seeking the word of the Lord, but shall not find it. And I have to confess 
that as I read that, I can't help but wonder if we here in the United States aren't in the throes of some of that right now. I mean, guys, we look around and we wonder, where are all the churches that are truly teaching the Word of God, line upon line, precept upon precept? Family, they are few and far between. I mean, I'm telling you, there's a, there's a famine of God's Word in the land. Oh, there's plenty of, plenty of people standing behind pulpits today. There's churches on every corner. There's plenty of people pulpiteering. They're talking about something. But where are the people simply teaching the Bible? And we wonder if the Lord isn't simply saying, listen, I'm giving you what you want. If you don't really want my word, you just want to hear what you want to hear, then you can have it. Now, it's easy, isn't it, to uh, blame the unfaithful pastor, the unfaithful preacher who doesn't teach the Word of God. And, you know, listen, certainly it's appropriate in some measure to do just that. But listen, what about the unfaithful in the pews who simply don't want to hear the Word of God? I mean, they just don't want to hear it. They want, I'm okay, you're okay, we can live whatever lifestyle we want to, and we all get to go to heaven in the end. Guys, I'm telling you, there's plenty of responsibility to go around for everyone. And we need to recognize, guys, I'm telling you what you hold in your hands today. We need to recognize the precious gift that God has entrusted to us in His Word. And we need to ascribe value to it and desire more of it. Look at verse 11. The whole vision has become to you like the words of a book that is sealed, which men deliver to the one who is literate, saying, read this, please. And he says, I cannot for it is sealed. And then the book is delivered to one who's illiterate, saying, read this, please. And he says, I can't, I'm, I, I, I'm not literate. Do you see what's happening here? Guys, God keeps stacking it on. He likens them to the blind. He likens them to the drunk. And now to the illiterate. Meaning that even though they could read, I mean, uh, physically, academically, they could read what was written, it wasn't going to do them any good. No different than if they couldn't read at all. What's the take home here? Jesus said that like this. He said this. He said, it is the spirit who gives life. The flesh profits nothing. The words that I speak to you are spirit and they are life. Paul the Apostle put it this way. He said, but the natural man does not receive the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him, nor can he know them. Why? Because they are spiritually discerned. Guys, when it comes, don't miss this. When it comes to God's word, it is not about education. Though I'm all for higher education, that's fine. Listen to me. When it comes to God's word, 
It's not about education. It's not about acquiring more information. It's about revelation. Illumination that comes from the Spirit of God. Again, write it down. You can read it later. It's 1 John chapter 2 and in verse 27. Unless the Lord opens our understanding, you and me, we will never comprehend the Word of God. I'm always reminded of that passage in Luke's gospel when the Lord was walking after post-resurrection with those two disciples to Emmaus. And we read there that he opened their understanding that they might comprehend his word. Guys, that's what we need. And Isaiah is telling them, the Lord is not going to open your understanding. Read it all you want. It won't serve you in any way, ultimately, spiritually. You may as well be illiterate. Listen, guys, and, and some of you may be going, I think maybe I'm spiritually illiterate. Have ears to hear? If at the end of the day, you really don't want to respond to God's word. I mean, if you we were to just boil it down, the brass tacks, look, I really am not interested. You don't want to be changed by God's word. Then simply going through the motion of reading it is not going to do you any good. You're circling back to that religious routine we talked about. But if you're seeking truth, I mean, man, you want the spirit of God to challenge you, to convict you, to change you. I promise you God's word will come alive for you. The spirit of God will teach you. These people did not want that. They were content with their religious routines. Going through the motions of ministry, you see. Look at verse 13. Therefore the Lord said, inasmuch as these people, oh my goodness, underline it, Inasmuch as these people draw near to me with their mouths and honor me with their lips, but have removed their hearts far from me, and their fear toward me is taught by the commandment of men. Therefore, behold, I will again do a marvelous work among this people. And a mar pardon me, a marvelous work and a wonder. For the wisdom of their wise men shall perish, and the understanding of their prudent men shall be hidden. Woe to those who seek deep to hide their counsel far from the Lord. Their works are in the dark. They say, who sees us and who knows us? Surely you have things turned around. Mm. Shall the potter be esteemed as the clay? For shall the thing made say of him who made it, he did not make me? Or the thing formed say of him who formed it, he has no understanding? Guys, what a powerful passage of scripture we have come to today. And I have no doubt that it sounds somewhat familiar to many of you. These people draw near to me with their mouths, they honor me with their lips, God says. 
but have removed their hearts far from me. This was a real problem in Isaiah's day. Guys, it was a real problem in Ezekiel's day. God told him, they come to you as people do, and they sit before you as my people, and they hear your words, but they do not do them. For with their mouth they show much love, but their hearts pursue the glory of God. Is that what it says? Their own gain. Indeed, you are to them as a very lovely song of one who has a pleasant voice and can play well on an instrument. For they hear your words, but they do not do them. My, how people love to hear Ezekiel speak. I mean, man, this guy just had a real way with words. He was so eloquent. He was so articulate. He was so entertaining. The people would come and listen to him, but not respond to the application of the word of God that he would share with them. And it was a real problem in Jesus' day. He quoted this same passage to the religious leaders around him. And guys, we may as well go ahead and get it on the table. It's a real problem in our day. Oh, how we love to lift our voices and sing all the right songs. And we know all the right words to say when we conversate in the sanctuary. My, what a blessing. Praise the Lord, brother. And though man may look to the outward appearance, come on, God's searching the heart. And it's so easy for our heart and our mind to be miles away when we should be engaged and involved in worship to God and receiving the word of God. What are we learning here? Two things. Number one, we, you and me, we have an accountability and a responsibility before God regarding the position and the condition of our heart. I'm going to say that again. We have an accountability and a responsibility before God for the condition and the position of our heart. We're either preparing the soil of our heart for the seed of His Word and the leading of His Spirit through prayer, through worship, through repentance, through obedience, or we're allowing our hearts to harden against Him, to drift away from Him through rebellion, rejection of the instruction of his word and the entertainment of sin in our lives. Guys, you hear me say it on the regular around here. I'm just going to say it again because it bears repeating. It's Proverbs chapter 16 and verse 1. The preparations of the heart belong to man. You know, when Joshua was there and he was preparing to die, he was encouraging the nation to stay true to God and he said this, Now therefore, put away the foreign gods which are among you, and look at it, incline your heart to the Lord God of Israel. The word incline means to, 
to stretch out, to reach out, incline your heart to the Lord. Listen, the message, guys, the message is the same from cover to cover. God wants your heart. He doesn't want our religious efforts. He wants a relationship with us. What's the second thing we're learning? This kind of takes us back to the, what if I'm spiritually illiterate? What do I need to do here? Well, look here. If your heart is no longer near God like it once was, do you see how that happens here? Look at it. Uh, Let's see, what verse is it in? Oh, it's right here in verse 13. How does that happen? How does our heart get away from God, no longer near to God like it once was? We remove it. We remove it. Guys, God did not leave nor forsake us. That only leaves one option. We removed our heart from Him. (laughs) I know that time... I'll leave the illustration alone. They thought that they were so sophisticated spiritually, so wise in their own understanding. God says He's going to bring their wisdom to nothing. Their understanding, the understanding of their prudent men will be hidden. And to make matters worse, these guys, they thought they were being so slick. And I hope this is resonating with you because it did, like, guys, you know that the times change, cultures change, the human heart stays the same. Guys, this is speaking to you and me. They just, they, like, they thought they could hide what was really going on from the Lord. Well, look, he sees me going to church. He sees me put some money in the plate. He sees me serving and this and that. Guys, I'm telling you, they did their deeds in the dark. They kept their thoughts quiet. They thought God didn't know. But we come back to it. God searches the heart. He tests the mind. He knows what's really going on. He weighs our thoughts. Guys, he knows. The Bible says, indeed, the darkness shall not hide from you, but the night shines as the day. The darkness and the light are both alike to you. Where can I go to escape the always there, uh, always aware presence of God? There's nowhere. More literally, the very first word of the 16th verse is perversion. That's what God says. Perversion. In other words, You've turned things upside down. And he gives them an illustration. Is the potter on the same level as the clay? By the way, you know that God is the master potter, yeah? I mean, literally. You and me, we were created out of dust, out of of the clay. God is the master potter. He says, shall the thing say... Or shall the thing made say of him who made, he did not make me? Or shall the thing formed say to him who formed it, he doesn't get it. He doesn't understand. He has no understanding. They thought they had God all figured out, but that God didn't understand them. 
God says, actually, you have that turned around. That's perversion. That's upside down. I have you all figured out, and you don't really know me at all. You see, they had elevated themselves and brought God low. They esteemed the clay as the potter. You know, the clay was just as worthy, just as intelligent, just as wise, just as understanding as was the potter. Guys, what we have here is so important. Listen, stay with me. People denying that the Lord had made them or that the Lord God didn't understand them. He had erred with them. What does this look like today? People believing they're the product of random chance and evolution. God didn't make them. Or if there is a God, he erred with them because they're a man trapped in a woman's body. Or they're a woman trapped in a man's body. Ladies and gentlemen, it is so important that we understand this. Your gender is no mistake. God did not make a mistake and place a man in a woman's body or a, a woman in a man's body. Now, I want to be very careful here because what I don't want to do is diminish the confusion that is very real to people today. But what I do want to emphasize is that though for some, a state of confusion concerning their gender may be real, listen to me, God is not the author of confusion. That confusion is not coming from God. James chapter 3 tells us that it's the wisdom of the world and that it is earthly, it is sensual, it is selfish, it is demonic. Guys, the spiritual warfare is real. This is what we need to be picking up on here. Ladies and gentlemen, the Bible speaks to all these issues. What we have in our country, in our climate, in our culture today is not, is not a political problem. What we have is a very real spiritual problem. And the way we need to come against it is on our faces in prayer and sharing the truth in love. Fighting the good fight of faith for the souls of precious people whom God has created in his own image. Listen, Satan seeks to mar that image, to distort, to pervert the image. Well, I was born this way. Listen, none of us were born with a propensity, with a desire to honor God. We're all born self-seeking. We're all born defiant. We're all born rebellious toward God. It's called a sin nature. And this is why the Bible says that we must be born again of the Spirit of God. Believe me when I tell you, ladies and gentlemen, I stress, I emphasize to you, God is not the one who lacks understanding. We, humanity, we're the ones who have fallen out of fellowship with and have forsaken God. The question is, for you and me, what are we going to do about it? This epidemic, this, this spiritual pandemic of all the, you know, the folk, people having just fallen away from God. The natural state of man. What are we going to do? Are we going to sit back, hurl insults, spew venom at an ungodly people because they act ungodly? 
Or should we get on our faces and cry out to God for the salvation of a generation? I'm telling you, ask God to strengthen us to live out what it means to be light and salt in a dark and decaying world that people might come to know Him and be saved by Him. Ladies and gentlemen, God has called you to a time such as this. What are you going to do about it? Look at verse 17, guys. We're not, I promise we're not far from finished. A lot of this is, is very um, a large section for a, 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 the same context. So look at verse 17. Is it not yet a very little while till Lebanon shall be turned into a fruitful field and the fruitful field be esteemed as a forest? In that day the deaf shall hear the words of the book, the eyes of the blind shall see out of obscurity and out of darkness. The humble shall increase their joy in the Lord and the poor among men shall rejoice in the Holy One of Israel. For the terrible one is brought to nothing, the scornful one is consumed, and all who watch for iniquity are cut off, who make a man an offender by a word, and lay a snare for him who reproves in the gate, and turn aside the just by empty words. Yeah, okay, so look, verse 20 and 21 we see this kind of character assassination in our culture all the time today, this cancel culture, this cancellation all the time in the world today, a twisting of words who make a man a criminal by a word. You know, they, in other words, they, they, they make a criminal of someone, a racist, a bigot out of someone. They take and twist their words and then they accuse them of something that we all know honestly, I mean truly, contextually, it's not the case. God says it won't be long. When he's talking about the forest of or the, the Lebanon and the fruitful field being brought up, what he's talking about here is that the, it won't be long, God says. And ultimately, again, this, would, this has future fulfillment in the millennial kingdom of Christ. And he says, the high will be brought low and the humble will be lifted up. That's what's going on here. He will right what's wrong. He will bring restoration and reconciliation to himself. And again, this is going to be fulfilled ultimately when Jesus is ruling and reigning the earth, on the earth in righteousness during his millennial kingdom. Okay, let, let's finish up here. Whoever's, uh, Karen or you are close, you can go ahead and start making your way forward here. Look at verse 22. Therefore, thus says the Lord who redeemed Abraham concerning the house of Jacob. Jacob shall not now be ashamed, nor shall his face grow pale. But when he sees his children, notice the work of my hands. Who does the work? God does the work. In his midst, they will hallow my name and the Holy One of Jacob. And hallow, pardon me, the Holy One of Jacob and fear the God of Israel. These also who erred in spirit will come to understanding and those who complained will learn doctrine. You kind of see what's happening here, right? Isaiah sort of pictures Jacob. You guys, you know that when we talk about the children of Israel, we're talking about the literal children of a literal man. Some people just think it's just a reference to the nation. Well, that's true. But Jacob had these sons, and God took Jacob, changed his name to Israel, and the nation is his literal offspring. And so here's Isaiah, and he's kind of picturing old Jacob, looking over the way the nation is, is reacting and responding to God right now, and he's just, he's embarrassed, he's ashamed. But God says, look, 
when I restore them, when I heal them, when I do this work in them, there will be no shame, no embarrassment. They will hallow the name of the Holy One of Jacob and fear the God of Israel. And one piece of evidence, the fruit, if you will, of their restoration will be a hunger for, and look at this, an understanding of the truth of God's word. No longer will they be critical, they'll be teachable. Last little point for you here, quick question. Critical spirit or teachable spirit? Which better describes you? Complainer? Or willing, maybe even eager learner? Wanting to voice your opinion or trying to glean and gain understanding? Guys, may God open our understanding. And may we be those who value and drink in and respond appropriately to the truth of God's word. And may we, you and me, pursue not our own gain, but his glory. Amen. Father, that's our prayer. That we would know our place and honor your place in our lives. You are the master potter and we are the clay. So we say, have your way. Mold us. Shape us. Make us more like Jesus. And I pray, oh God, that you would guard us from religious routines, that we would love you with all our heart, all our mind, all our soul, and all our strength. And guys, I just want to say, if this is applicable to you today, God wants your heart. Don't delay. Turn from your sin. Believe on Jesus Christ. He has loved you. He has given himself for you upon the cross. For God has so loved you that he gave his only begotten son for you. And if you'll just believe on him, you'll never perish. What a precious promise. But have everlasting life. You can do that right where you're at. Just turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in His wonderful face. And I promise you the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of His glory and grace. Father, we give you praise. In Jesus' name. Amen. Why don't we rise to our feet?
you made it. I, you guys, congratulations. I knew today was going to be a bit of a, a little more of a marathon, a little less of a sprint. We had some stuff to take care of. <laughs> and I'm not even sure that any of you needed a, to be awakened out of a deep sleep physically. <laughs> Maybe spiritually. I don't know. But I think most of you made it physically. <laughs> Well, guys, may the Lord bless you and be with you and, and may his word just be rooted so deeply in your heart. You know, last week we talked about I just want you guys to love God with all your heart, with all your soul. And I could go on, I guess, with different illustrations and applications of all of this and that. But at the end of the day, just love the Lord. Love God. Love others. Love one another. And, and we're up here to pray for you, to be an encouragement to you, whatever your need may be. But may the Lord just pour His Spirit out upon you. And may His mercy and grace follow you. And may you be fruitful for Him. And that's the thing, you guys, that, that fruit that would remain. Be it 30, be it 60, be it 100 fold. Father, I pray, Lord, for every heart that's here right now. And I thank you, Lord, that you, you search us and you know us. So many times we think we, you know, we've got it on lock. We've got it all figured out. What perversion. We got things turned around. Lord, you're the one that's got it all figured out. And we fall prey to our own devices. We get caught in religious routine. We go through motions and mechanics and leave our heart on the table somewhere else. And we thank you that you love us, that you seek out after us, that you're faithful to chasten us and to return us to that first love. And I just pray, Lord, anyone that you may be speaking to today, that they would hear your voice, respond to you. And Lord, rather than remove ourselves, that we would renew ourselves to you through repentance, through obedience. Lord, that you would soften our hearts. And again, we pray, Lord, that you make us like Jesus, in whose name we pray. Amen? Amen. Amen. God bless you guys. Have a wonderful Sunday, and uh, we'll catch you next time.